The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. We are continuing our message series entitled The God Who Builds, going verse by verse through the book of Nehemiah. Well, this morning, Pastor is going to come and bring a message entitled The God Who Builds Through Teamwork. And so what we're going to do, since we're going through the entire book of Nehemiah, is we're going to read all of chapter 3 this morning. So I'm going to let you remain seated. Pray for me, because some of these names, they're a doozy. All right, Nehemiah chapter number 3, let's jump right into it. Verse number 1, Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priest, and they built the sheep gate. They sanctified it and set up the doors of it. Even unto the tower of Meha, they sanctified it unto the tower of Hananiel. And next unto him builded the men of Jericho. And next to them builded Zachar, the son of Imri. But the fish gate did the sons of Hassanah build, who also laid the beams thereof and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof and the bars thereof. And next unto them repaired Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Cuz. And next unto them repaired Mashalom, the son of Berechiah, the son of Mishazibul. Sure. <laughs> and next unto them repaired Zadok, the son of Bana. And next unto them the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles put not their necks to the work of the Lord. Hashtag don't be those guys. Moreover, the old gate repaired Jehoiada, the sons of Pesaiah, and Meshalom, the sons of Basodia. They laid the beams thereof and set the doors thereof and the locks thereof and the bars thereof. Verse number seven. And next unto them repaired Melitiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Moranathite, the men of Gibeon, and of Mizpah, and unto the throne of the governor on the side of the river. Next unto him repaired Uziel, the son of Hariah, of the goldsmiths. Next unto him also repaired Hananiah, the sons of the one of the apothecaries, and they fortified Jerusalem unto the broad wall. And next unto them repaired Raphaiah, the son of Hur, the ruler of the half part of Jerusalem. And next unto them repaired Jedidiah, the son of Haramph, even over against his house. And next unto him repaired Hadesh, the son of Hashbaniah, Malkajiah, the son of Haram, and Hashab, the son of Pehath Moab, repaired the other piece, the tower of the furnaces. And next unto him repaired Shalom, the son of Halohesh, the ruler of the half part of Jerusalem, he and his daughters. The valley gate repaired Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoah. They built it and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof, and a thousand cubits on the wall unto the dung gate. But the dung gate repaired Malchiah, the son of Rechab, the ruler of the part of Bethacarim. He built it, and he set the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. Verse number 15. But the gate of the fountain repaired Shalon, the son of Calhoza, the ruler part of Mizpah. He built it and covered it, and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof, and the wall of the pool of Siloah by the king's garden, and unto the stairs that go down to the city of David. After him repaired Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, the ruler of half part of Bethsur, unto the, unto the place over against the sepulchres of David, and to the pool that was made, and unto the house of the mighty. After him repaired the Levites, Rehum, the son of Bani, Next unto him repaired Mashabiah, the ruler of the half part of Keilah, and his part. After him repaired the, their brethren, Bavai, the son of Henadad, the ruler of the half part of Keilah. And next to him repaired Ezer, the son of Jeshua, the ruler of Mizpah, another piece over against the going up to the armory at the turning of the wall. After him, Barak, the son of Zabiah, earnestly repaired the other piece from the turning of the wall to the door of Eliashib, the high priest. 
After him repaired Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Cuz, another piece, from the door of the house of Eliashib, even unto the end of the house of Eliashib. And after him repaired the priests, the men of the plain. After him repaired Benjamin, the Hashab, over against his house. And after him repaired Azariah, the son of Masiah, the son of Ananiah, by his house. Verse 24, say amen if you're still with me. All right, we are, we are getting there. We're almost done. After him repaired Benaiah, the son of Henadad, another piece, from the house of Azariah unto the turning of the wall, even unto the corner. Pelel, the son of Uzziah, over against the turning of the wall, and the tower which lieth out from the king's high house that was by the court of the prison. After him, Padiah, the son of Parash. Moreover, the Nethanims dwelt in Ophel, unto the place over against the water gate towards the east, and the tower that lieth out. After them, the Tekoites repaired another piece over against the great wall that lieth out, even unto the wall of Ophel. From above the horse gate repaired the priests, every one over against his house. After them repaired Zadok, the son of Immer, over against his house. After him repaired also Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate. After him repaired Hananiah, the son of Shalomiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zelef, another piece. After him repaired Meshalem, the son of Berechiah, over against his chamber. After him repaired Malchiah, the goldsmith's son, unto the place of the Nethanims, and of the merchants, over against the gate of Mifkad, and to the going up of the corner. And, going, and between the going up of the corner, unto the sheep gate, repaired the goldsmiths and the merchants. During the uh, darkest hours of World War II, uh, the statesman Winston Churchill issued a now famous call to the British people to rise up and face the great opposition uh, known as the Third Reich or the Nazis. He laid before them the bleakness of their situation and then issued a call to unity and great effort, exhorting them to action with this pronouncement that maybe some of you have heard before. This is what Winston Churchill said. He said, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. And it was with that pronouncement that the British soldiers and their allies went on to defeat the Nazi regime. Nehemiah found himself in a very similar situation here as he was surveying the rubble of Jerusalem walls and he issues a similar call to his people in Nehemiah chapter number 2 and verse number 17 that we looked at last week. Uh, In his proclamation, Nehemiah gave no promise of fame or prosperity. He did not come to the people of Jerusalem and say, hey, if you'll work together as a team to build up these walls, you'll become rich. If you work together to build up these walls, you'll become famous. He, He gave them no promise of fame. He gave them no promise of prosperity. There were no special accommodations for the wealthy or for the powerful. Just a call for all to come and build. And as we see in chapter number 3 of Nehemiah, that's exactly what begins to take place. The people of Jerusalem, they, they do, they build. And they build for the purpose of restoring the good name of their God. Our theme for the message this morning is just very simply this, that teamwork really does make the dream work. 
And as we see in this passage, there were many, many, many different individuals that were willing to come together as a team in order to see this dream come to fruition. And I would propose to you today that the dream that God has laid on your heart, the dream that He has for your marriage, that dream that He has for your family, the dream that He has for the career that He's pushing you to, I would propose to you that in order to see these things come to fruition, fruition, it often takes a team of people gathering together to accomplish a great work, which is why we say teamwork is what it takes to make the dream work. Now, I will say this, at first glance, this chapter seems to be repetitious, monotonous, and can we say it almost pointless, all right? How many you get to those chapters in the Bible where it's the genealogies and it's just name after name after name after name and you're kind of like, what is the point of this chapter of the Bible, you know? If you're like me, you start to cheat a little bit and you just start not really reading it, kind of reading it, your eyes glance over it and you're like, okay, that, I think I did my duty there, you know? Um, but here we come to this passage and it kind of feels the same, you know? What's the point of all this? But as we take a closer look, we're going to see several insights that I hope will be a help to us even today. So let's just kind of start marching through it. Because of the nature of this chapter, we're going to march through it a little bit differently than we normally do as we're doing expositional verse by verse. Uh, But I want to kind of just group different aspects of this passage into large categories. I want you to notice, first of all, with me, that in this chapter, there are 15 different groups that are mentioned, all right? And so these aren't individuals, these are groups. And in verse number one, you'll see the group of the priests. In verses number three, you see the group, the sons of Hashanah. In verse number five, you see the Toykites. In verse number seven, you see the men of Gibeon. And as you work your way through the chapter, you're going to see 15 groups groups of individuals that really lean into this particular tasks. It really did take a lot of people in order to build the wall around Jerusalem that Nehemiah was leading the people in. And I'm going to say this as well. When it comes to building the dream that you have in your life, it really is going to take an ability for you to rally around you a team in your marriage. It's a beautiful team, it's a beautiful thing, I should say, when a husband and wife are working together in unity to accomplish a common purpose. It's a wonderful thing within a family when you've got mom and dad and teenager and and the boys and the girls and whatever the case may be in that family, grandma and grandpa. It's a wonderful thing when that group can come together in a spirit of unity and just go forward toward a common vision and a common purpose. Uh, Many of you have had the opportunity of maybe being a part at a workplace where those employees and managers and directors they were all in, a, in unity together. It's, it's an amazing thing when there is synergy at a workplace, when there really is a team coming together for a common purpose. And, and in this passage, we're going to see a lot of unique individuals, a lot of people with differences of opinions, a lot of people with different personalities, a lot of people with different backgrounds, and yet for this goal, in order to see this dream come to reality, they bind together in a spirit of unity to make it possible. I want to say to you today that 
This is the case even when it comes to churches. Great churches are not built on the gifts and talents of a few, but on the sacrifices of many. We live in a day and age where literally it seems like 20% of the church does 80% of the work. And then we wonder why America is in the state that it is in today. And so we see in this passage, there were a lot of different groups that were getting involved. I'm excited to say that here at Ambassador, we have over 50% of our church family who is actively involved in regular service type ministries through their church to the Lord. And that's an encouraging thing to my heart. But we're looking forward to seeing God continue to raise up people that will serve Him and glorify Him and honor Him through their service to Him. So 15 different groups that are mentioned here in this passage. Now, the next thing you'll kind of notice as you are reading through chapter number 3 is that there are 28 different individuals that are mentioned as well. So Eliashib, verse number 1, Meredith, verse number 4, Jaden, there was name after name after name. In fact, there are 28 different names that Pastor Nick so eloquently uh, described for us here just a few minutes ago. And these individuals that are mentioned, they they would be what you would refer to as maybe the managers. They were the overseers. They were the leaders of many of these groups that were leading the way. And I will say in any endeavor, there is a need for dedicated people to serve in leadership positions when a dream is to be accomplished. You see, today we live in a day and age where everyone wants a leadership title. Everybody wants to be the one in charge. Everybody wants to be able to have, you know, their business card, say, you know, manager, director, boss, or whatever the case may be. Everybody wants their name on the sign in front of the building outside. But the reality is, while everyone wants a leadership title, very few want the leadership responsibilities, And then in the day and age in which we live, the reality is in order to experience leadership, it takes people to lean into the responsibilities of that leadership. And so here in this passage, we see 28 people who said, you know what, I'm willing to take on the responsibility of leadership. I'm willing to take on the accountability of leadership. I'm willing to take on the sacrifice of leadership. I'm willing to take on the burden of leadership. And 28 individuals were used as leaders in these different divisions in order to make this dream accomplished. And I'm so thankful for the leaders in our lives. Many of you have been influenced by leaders, maybe in a school. Others of you influenced by leaders at your workplace. Maybe it was just friends in your life that influenced you and impacted you and led you. We have leaders in our lives and it's such a beautiful thing when leaders lead. When they do it with humility. When they do it with grace. When they do it in a spirit of mercy. There is a need even today for dedicated people to lead in different areas. We're thankful for people who, man, will just kind of jump in and serve and say, I'm not necessarily looking for a title. 
I'm not necessarily looking for somebody to recognize me as a leader. I just want to have the opportunity to serve, to be involved, to sacrifice. So we see in this passage, 15 different groups are mentioned specifically. We see 28 different individuals are mentioned by name. Uh, We'll also see that there are eight different cities that are mentioned. Now, what What is fascinating about this particular passage, it's not just the people of Jerusalem who come and build up this wall. You would think, well, this is a wall for the people of Jerusalem, therefore it should be the citizens of Jerusalem that build this wall. But as you read through this, you're going to find people from uh, Jericho come from verse number 2. In verse number 7, you're going to see people from Gibeon. In verse number 15, from Mitzpah. In fact, so on and so forth. Eight different cities surrounding. Jerusalem come to be a part of this building project. Uh, we see uh, verse 16, Bethsur. And, and what I think is interesting here is these, these people from these other cities didn't have this mentality, well, it ain't my city. Well, it's not my job. There was a desire to say, you know what? There is a need. And since there is a need, if God will give me the grace... If God will give me the strength, I will lean into a responsibility intrinsically mine in order to make a difference. Uh, some people would say it this way. When we see need, we can take the lead. And I would hope that that would be the spirit in your home, in your marriage. When it comes to being at your workplace, man, you're at work, your workplace, you see a need. The reality is every once in a while, you don't necessarily need a director to sign off on it in order for you to take care of particular duties. If you see something that needs to be done and it's not outside your bounds, it's not outside the realm of necessarily something you're not supposed to do, I would just see the need and take the lead. Be a servant leader there in your home, at your, at your workplace, in your church. Don't have the idea of, well, that's not my job. Well, I'm above that. That was not the spirit of these people here. These were a people who said, you know, just because it's not my job, just because it's not my city doesn't mean that I'm not going to get involved. And so we see eight different cities that are mentioned here. I want you to notice what else we see here. You're going to notice seven different occupations that are mentioned in this chapter. Seven different occupations, everything from priests to goldsmiths to rulers to merchants to water carriers. There were a lot of different types of individuals that were willing to get involved in building up this wall. Notice, what, notice the people that were involved. It wasn't, just the, it wasn't just the masons, the people who knew how to build with bricks. It wasn't just the, the uh, construction people who knew how to build up gates or walls. It wasn't just the people where these responsibilities fell within their wheelhouse. There were people from all different types of backgrounds, people with all different type of trade skills that were willing to say, hey, I want to be a part in making this dream come to fruition. And so people from all different skill sets came together. As as I look around our ministry, I I love the fact... Kidsville. Right now, there's a group of people who are serving our kids and our young people, and, and we have a team that are involved in serving. I love as you, as you look through the people just serving our kids, you have business owners, you have attorneys, you have college graduates. We have the whole spectrum of people literally serving six-year-olds. 
And I love the fact that we don't have college graduates, business owners, attorneys, whatever the case may be, saying, I'm a little above working with six-year-olds. After all, I went to college, you know, for eight years. I'm above that. Well, don't you realize how much money I make? Don't you realize what, I, what else I can? No, there's just a spirit here at Ambassador to say, you know what, just because I have a college degree, just because I have this, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what my you know, work is. It, if, if there is a need, I want to lean into it. And I love the spirit that exists because that was the spirit that existed here in Nehemiah chapter number three. People with all different types of skills, all different types of abilities got involved. They were willing to get involved in areas that weren't that were kind of maybe even outside their areas of expertise and so they're they're getting involved now i do think it's interesting i I don't know if you caught that pastor nick kind of mentioned it a moment ago here in chapter number three and and uh it says here in verse number five and next unto them the tekites repaired but notice this but their nobles put not their necks to the work of the lord so here's what's interesting a bunch of different people getting involved Man, here's people from this background, here's people from those backgrounds, different cities, different occupations. And then all of a sudden you come to verse number five, and here's this group that said, hey, you know what, I think we're going to opt out the Tikites, the rulers there, the nobles. I mean, these people who, you know, in their own mind, yeah, just a little too important for that type of work. I mean, how would you like to be the one who, after 2,500 years you get memorialized in the Bible as being the one who didn't really feel like doing nothing. <laughs> We're, well, you know, nobles. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> You're noble. <laughs> and so right here it says they didn't put their neck to the work. Eh, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna opt out of this one. Can I say this? It doesn't matter if you're a ruler. It doesn't matter if blue, cla- blue collar, white collar... Oh, that there would be a desire in the, in the heart of people to say, you know what, we want to serve the Lord in whatever way he calls us to do. I, I love how British comedian Jer- Jerome K. once stated this. He said, I love work. He said, it, it fascinates me. I could sit and look at it for hours. <laughs> I think all of us have been in situations where we're like, yeah, that would be kind of how I would tend to respond to it. There is a real temptation, especially in the church world, to be a spectator instead of a participant. And this doesn't just happen in the church world. It can also happen at home. It's easy for dads to get to a place where in the home they become more of a spectator than a participant. It's easy to get to a place after being at a particular job for year after year to over time just kind of become a little less engaged, a little less involved. And I would say this, in whatever area the sovereignty of God has placed you in, that you would experience God's grace to be engaged, to be saturated, and to really lean into the opportunities of work that God has given you. So we see here in this passage, yeah, seven different occupations mentioned. I want you to know there in this passage there are also three different words used regarding the labor that takes place. So the type of labor, the word build is used seven times. The word fortify is used one time. The word repair is used 35 times. So as they are building the wall around Jerusalem, 
seven times the word build is used. And, and that's simply because in, in that particular case, that part of the wall was literally in shambles. I mean, it, it was just entirely destroyed. There was nothing there. And so seven of these groups had to come along and they literally had to build up the wall. In, in some cases, it says here, there was just an, a need to fortify it. And what that means is the wall was still kind of standing. In fact, it was in fairly good shape. And so what they would do is they fortified it. They, they took a little bit of mortar and they kind of filled in the little patches, the little holes. They maybe had to stick a brick in here or there. And they simply had to fortify it. And then the, the word that is used most often is not build, not fortify, but rather repair. 35 times you'll see the word repair. That is, part of the wall was there, but the entire wall was not. And so the majority of the people who were involved in building the wall at Jerusalem were involved in repairing it. Parts of it were there. And so they got stone that was from the rubble and they used mortar and they rebuilt that wall. They repaired that particular wall. And so as we move our way through chapter Chapter number three, we see these different aspects. 28 here, uh, different individuals mentioned. 15 groups. Eight different cities are mentioned. Seven different occupations. Three different words used to describe what takes place in building. And so let me just take all this to just kind of uh, encapsulate it in a couple of applications here. All right, number one, I see this. These people felt God was worthy of their service. These individuals felt that God was worthy of their service. We talked about this last week, that they were not just building a wall for their protection, but this wall was symbolic in ancient biblical times. For it was symbolic for the pagan nations around them would look to their city and they would get an idea of who their God was based on the walls around the temple. And so they were not doing it simply for themselves, but they were also doing it for literally the glory. They were doing it for the honor of God. And they felt God was worthy. And I will say to you today, our God is worthy of our labor. He's worthy of the, of the, of the time and energy we pour into our children. He's worthy of the sacrifice we make in, in our marriages, at our workplaces, through our church family. God's worthy. Secondly, an application that we see is these people trusted that God would give them the grace to accomplish the task. We talked about this at the end of chapter number two. Then I answered unto them and said unto them, the God of heaven, chapter two, verse 20, he will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. There was a sense in their heart that God would give them the resources, that God would give them the energy, that God would give them the strength to do what had not been done in 80 plus years. They believed that their God was strong enough, that their God would take care of them. I want you to see number three, everyone was willing to get involved. I love just even how the etymology of this chapter goes. And next to them, this group. And next to them, that group. And next to those, these groups. And there's just this idea of unity. There's this idea of synergy. There's this idea of everybody being a part. That little caveat in verse number five, you know. I don't know what the nobles, maybe they were playing poker or something. I don't know what, you know, what they were up to. But everybody's involved. Everybody's sitting around. Uh, everybody's building. And they were willing to get involved. And there's something special when in a family, everybody's pitching in. 
There's something beautiful about a marriage where both husband and wife are equally working together and sacrificing in order to make that marriage really work. It's a a beautiful thing at a workplace when everybody's working together to accomplish a common goal. I'll say this, within the church, it's an incredibly beautiful thing when everybody says, I can do a part. I can be a part of this. I can get involved in what God's wanting to accomplish. I want you to say that lastly. They were willing to sacrifice something to be involved. That is to say, as they're building this wall, as we're going to see over the next coming weeks, they couldn't give themselves to this without sacrificing something else. There were things that they could not do because they were building this wall. In order to say yes to the dream, they had to be willing to say no to lesser things. And when it comes to making an impact in our life, when it comes to being part of a team that really is going to make a difference that will last for an eternity, we all want to do more. But I have found that wisdom helps me to understand that in order to say yes to big things, I regularly have to learn to say no to smaller things. And this is something that many of us in this room could learn. Yes, there are good things to be a part of. There are wonderful things to be a part of. But in order to say yes, yes to the biggest things, we regularly have to learn to say no to smaller things. And so in our marriage, if we're going to be able to fully engage and be everything God wants us to be in our marriages or in our families, to say yes to that big priority, we have to be willing to say no to some lesser priorities. To be everything that maybe God would have us to be at a workplace, just practically we're going to have to say no to some lesser things in order to be what God wants us to be in our church family, to be involved and to be engaged. We can't just keep saying yes, yes, yes to this thing, yes to that thing, yes to every opportunity. Can I, can I remind you, if you want to write this down, it might help you. Opportunity doesn't equal obligation. In America, we have tons of opportunities. I can do this, and I can do that, and my kids can do those things, and they can do these things, and we can do all those things. Opportunity doesn't equal obligation. And so you want to go to God's Word and follow His Spirit and say, God, what is it that you want me to say no to first so I can say yes to this? Because you, if you try to say, if you keep trying to say yes, 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 yes to all these things, but you don't get very good at saying no, no, no to smaller things, you're, it's not going to work. To say yes to more things in your marriage is going to mean saying no to some things outside your marriage. To say yes to your family means to say no to maybe some of your friends. To be able to say yes to your church might mean saying no to some hobbies. You can't. You can't keep saying yes without at times saying no to smaller, lesser priorities in your life. My friends, it's easy to do nothing. But let me encourage you with this. It's almost just as easy to do something really big, meaningful, and to allow your life to make an impact. I want to share with you just a quick video of somebody in our churches that really is making a difference. And I want to get up and just share a couple of things with you that God's laying on our heart that we'd like to invite you to be a part of. Let's turn our attention toward the screens. My name is Timothy Kelly. This is my wife, Juana. And along with our daughter, Caitlin, we've been coming to Ambassador for about four years. 
What motivated me to serve in Kidsville ministry was actually someone coming along and asking me to come and see what was going on in Kidsville. I went there, there was no obligation, just wanted to see what the ministry was like. I love teaching, I love working with kids, and so when I got to see the ministry in action, what they were doing, what they were teaching, I fell in love with it. And after prayer and talking with my wife, I decided then to join the ministry. It's great when I come into church and I see the kids with their parents and then they say hi to me. They say, hi, Mr. Tim, how are you doing? Um, There's just a, a great feeling to know that you're connecting with the kids, teaching them, and praying for them as they grow up and praying that God will use them in the future to serve maybe in the same place, maybe to serve in Kidsville as well someday. Discipling the next generation is exciting. Being a father, I hope that one day that the kids that we teach and the things that we teach the children in Kidsville, that they'll grow up to be teens, adults, and people who will serve in the church, and maybe even one day even teach my child um, what it means to love the Lord and to serve the Lord. So it's exciting to be able to teach the next generation and pray and see what God's going to do in their lives. I've already had some people come to me and say that they're really excited that Ambassador's going to double services because it was hard for them to sacrifice ministering in Kidsville and also missing the Sunday morning service. With double services, they're now going to be able to go to a service, attend a service, and also serve. It's going to be great to see people learning Uh, from God's Word, but then also being able to serve, to take that same knowledge and the things that God is teaching them and be able to pass it on uh, to the other kids in Kidsville. Um, So I'm excited to see what God's going to do with the facilities, uh, also with the volunteers, and just giving people an opportunity to not only learn and grow, but also to give back, to jump into a ministry, to attend one service, but then also to be open to sacrificing their time to uh, work in another service, either in Kidsville, in the greeter ministry, guest uh, services, wherever it is that God, they feel that God is, is leading them into. And to just come and see. Just jump into a ministry. See where God might lead you to. We've been saying for years here that it really is our vision to glorify Christ by seeing God's word change lives in such an incredible way that a hundred years from today, no honest history could be written of the Central Valley without mentioning the impact of his church upon the city of Fresno. I'm going to say this, a hundred years from now is a long time, and most of us in this room will not be around. But many of the kids in the room next to us, will be. And if we're going to make an impact that will last more than even our own lifetime, it is going to involve making a radical and generous commitment to the next generation. Because while kids make up 50% of the current population, they make up 100% of our future. 
And as believers, we've got to prioritize the next generation, our children, our kids, our students, in order to really allow our vision, the vision that we formulated together, that will actually allow it to come to pass. And so in light of this, one of the big reasons why we're going to double services. And, and I've had people ask me, why are we doing this? Why, why go to double services? I still see a couple chairs, you know, empty. We could, we could fill up those couple chairs. We're fine. You know, everything's okay. Why go to double services? I'm going to give you the number one reason why we're doing this. The biggest reason we're going to a double service schedule is because we need to create a structure where more of us can be involved in serving the next generation. And probably the biggest barrier we're finding from people being able to serve in Kidsville, serve in these different ministries with our children is the fact that right now, it's so hard because they have to pull away from this environment of worship and fellowship and the Bible teaching in order to be a part. And so to remove that barrier and for the, for the sake of the next generation, we are, that we are primarily going to double services for that reason. So we can more deeply invest in our kids, more deeply invest in our children, and more deeply invest in the next generation. And we really believe that God uses our service to grow us spiritually. And so we want to create a structure here at Ambassador that allows us to really be able to get involved, to use our gifts, to use our talents, and to use our abilities, not just for the sake of others, but so we can leverage those things for our own spiritual development. Because there is something that happens in the life of a believer when they commit themselves to regularly and systematically serve the body of Christ and serve one another in formal ways. It doesn't just bless that other person. God actually uses as a conduit of his grace to grow us. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.